Pig X, Ideas in the Swine Industry Worth Sharing. Welcome to Episode 8, the first Pig X podcast episode of the new year. I'm your host, Delaney Howell. Now, Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither is a quality swine operation. In fact, Dr. Chris Sievers and Dr. Ryan Strobel, two veterinarians with the Swine Vet Center in St. Peter, Minnesota, have a 10-point plan to improve swine operations. Specifically, the plan is set up to reduce wean-to-finish mortality. But before we get to the first five points, let's learn a bit more about Dr. Sievers and Dr. Strobel. Ryan, I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up as a veterinarian at the Swine Vet Center. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the intro, Delaney, and nice to be on with you today. Um, so I grew up with in a pig operation and crop operation in South Central Minnesota with my family. Uh, really got interested in pigs, obviously, growing up that way. Uh, was around him my whole life. And then my uncle is actually a veterinarian as well, so I got to spend some time with him growing up, and, and that really got me interested in swine medicine specifically. And uh, went to the University of Minnesota after high school for undergrad and veterinary school, and and got out of veterinary school a few years back and went right into pig medicine. And it's, it's been a really good fit and, and a lot of fun. Fantastic. And Chris, what about you? Yep, I would have a similar upbringing to Ryan. Would have grown up on a smaller uh, farrow to finish operation, diversified row crop as well. Uh, would have headed down to Iowa State, kind of undecided, but known I wanted to be in the ag, ag world and uh, got hooked up with Dr. Holtkamp and his team at Iowa State really kind of fell in love with the pig medicine world and uh, kind of using data to help make decisions and, and really how progressive and how great the people were in the pig world. Did some internships across different systems, one of which at Swine Vet Center. And uh, that landed me up there to start my career here five years back and would have uh, hit the ground running, lived up in Minnesota for a couple of years and now down to Northwest Iowa, lived near Storm Lake and practice with clients down more this way. Awesome. And Chris, for those folks who aren't familiar with the Swine Vet Center, can you give us a big overview of what you guys do within the swine industry? Absolutely. So the Swine Vet Center is 15 veterinarians uh, located in St. Peter, Minnesota, uh, be just north of Mankato, Minnesota, southern Minnesota area. Really work with a variety of clients from smaller uh, farrow to finish operators, family owned businesses up to some larger integrators and really the focus of the clinic is on health research and, and really help with production as well and, and really kind of tailor our, what we do to what our clients need, whether that's disease elimination is definitely a big one at the clinic, helping do research trials, helping understand larger problems like things like nursery mortality. So a talk like this fits uh, with what we work on with our clients day to day in different uh, realms from sow all the way up to finishing production. And it's obvious that you two both have a very diverse background, very knowledgeable background about the swine industry, which sparks us to today's conversation, this this talk, I guess you could call it, that you two have put together that you tag team on 10 ways to reduce wean to finish mortality and how to implement them. Ryan, what made you guys or give us the background behind you and Chris putting this presentation together and what was your goal in presenting it at various conferences as I'm sure you have before COVID? Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically as Chris and I thought about this going into a, a few of these conferences, we said, what are our clients coming to us today? What are we working on really hard today? And what's going to be relevant that somebody can take home and make some changes on their system immediately. 
And so weaning to finish mortality obviously sounds like a very broad topic. Uh, and some of the items we talk about are very simplistic, but it's getting back to the basics. It's getting the right things done at the right time. And honestly, just taking a look back and sometimes we get so driven in our day-to-day tasks that we forget about some of the simple items. And so that's what Chris and I will go over in this talk. And, and I think it hit home with a lot of people and some of the items may seem repetitive to some and others uh, may be brand new information. So I think it's a, a good broad talk. Fantastic. Well, guys, let's dive right into it. I'll let you guys kick it off. Yeah, so I'll start it off with benchmarking. I mean, really, benchmarking starts with being able to measure information. And and as a researcher, a uh, common term is garbage in, garbage out. For me, if if we aren't uh, measuring in a good way of, you know, mortality, average daily gain, feed conversion, treatments, um, there's really no way to know whether we're improving or going backwards or staying the same. And so really doing a good job of of getting good measurable data out of the barn and those just key metrics is, is really important. And really it's starting with the end goal in mind when we're looking at, at benchmarking and really that's a grade A market hog. And that goes all the way back to the sow farm, all the way through finishing. And so if everyone has that in mind from caretakers and producers um, and keeping that in mind as their end goal, we can we can align on that as a common, common trend there. Um, as we went through our talk, MetaFarms is one of the common um, benchmarking platforms we would use or data collection platforms we would use or see across our clients. And so um, just some examples of that is falling mortality out between quarters, um, seeing what our average weight coming out is, our average daily gain and, and days on feed, feed conversion to do that. And and as we went through those numbers, unfortunately, on the nursery end, it, it's actually not improving, but getting worse. 2017 was a 3.08% mortality and 2020 is 3.6% mortality. So you'll hear a lot us talk quite a bit about the nursery arm of this because getting the pig off to the right start in the nursery is key. And it's an area where we honestly haven't made the improvement that we would like to see there. Finishing is is holding fairly steady, 4.18% mortality in 2017, uh, 4.28% mortality in 2020. It's a it's slightly higher, but definitely holding a lot more steady uh, when comparing to the nursery arm. And wean to finish has come down a little bit. Now I think this is a little bit skewed by who's putting what pigs where. A lot of times we will put some of our more challenged pigs into the nursery if we have both as options. And it depends on what production systems are doing at different points in time. But 5.92% mortality in 2017 and, and just under 5% mortality in 2020. The few years before that would have been holding steady. And I'd probably expect that that's where that'll end up being for the for the 2020 year to date versus this would just be through quarter three information. And then not only, you know, comparing, you know, total sums of where you were to where you'll be, but it's really nice. MetaFarms has it and some other record systems have it as well, but you know, where you fit in terms of the quartiles, are you in the top 10% or are you in the bottom 90% or are you somewhere in between? And, and I think those can really help you set goals. And, and we work with our clients on a lot of times this time of year setting uh, your goals for next year, right? Of this is where we are at. This is where we think we can hit. And these are the items that we can do to get us there. And so I think it's good to go through the data this time of year, set yourself some benchmarking or, or year goals, year end goals to, to try and achieve for 2021 and uh, use those to help drive the business forward next year. Go I ahead. wanted to ask just a quick follow up here. As far as percentiles go, you know, I mean, 
folks come in, I'm sure all across the board with their own various systems. And some folks are lucky enough to have a dedicated veterinarian. Maybe they work within a swine system. Maybe we've got some independent producers that listen. But for those folks that are trying to improve where they rank percentile wise, how do they go about finding a realistic goal? I mean, if you're in the 80th percentile, maybe it's not realistic to jump 20% higher, vice versa, you know? Yeah, so it depends on where you fall, I think. You also have to relate that to the area that where you're producing pigs and the challenges you face, right? Comparing like like pigs, like disease challenges and some of that. And you know, certainly uh, if a producer has to deal with a lot of disease challenge pigs because of being located in pig dense area and and having those challenges, yeah, to be in the upper 10th percentile isn't isn't probably going to be a reality. But what I like to do is, you know, see where they fit and then try to achieve 20% higher is really a goal that I like to try to look at. Or if they're up towards the upper end, figuring out those small things to do to, to make the 5 or 10% achievement to really, you know, make them one of the elites. And it really varies producer to producer, but that would be how I would look at that. Fantastic. Okay. So we've got our first way, which is benchmarking. What's next? Next, Delaney, I'll jump into starting out on the right foot. So what we mean by this is getting a great start into that barn. Um, Obviously we always talk about all in all out. We always talk about barns being washed and disinfected, you know, very simple steps that we all know in the industry are right, but aren't always as simple to get done. You know, there's things that happen on all in all out that you may not always be able to get done. For example, COVID was a great year or a great example, not a great year uh, of why we can't always get all in all out. Some people had to double stock early feeder pigs. Some people were pulling back nursery pigs to one side of the room and moving things not ideal for uh, health status. And so if we get all in all out, that is for sure best. The next best thing is all in all out by barn or by room and try not commingling within the same airspace at least. The next step that we really talk about is getting it clean. And so there's a, a wide variety of clean out there. Uh, my best steps would be to get it degreased, so using some sort of degreaser as you're soaking the room, then get it washed, inspected, and dried, disinfected, and dried again with some downtime. Those would be the best steps to get it clean. Now, what you use as far as disinfecting and getting it clean can vary out there widely. I would say work with your veterinarian or your local person on that because it really depends on what diseases we're going after, what flooring type, what other challenges we're trying to get rid of. You know, whitewashing is an an example that we used a lot during 2014 and 15 for PED. That would be the mixture of hydrated lime with water that we sprayed onto these sites to get it super uh, high pH to get all that PED out of every crack and crevice. And the nice thing about whitewashing is you can see where you've been. Not all disinfectants are like that. The next step that we really talk about a lot is water intake and getting water bowls clean. Usually when I go to inspect a barn, they do a great job on the slats, those sidewalls, most of the gates, a lot of the underside of the gates are the problem. But water bowls is one area that I see that people just blow out once and then it refills with water as you're washing and it sits there with a lot of feces or other material in that water bowl. Well, that's not the first step as a wean pig that I would want to go drink at either. And so blowing those out with an electric leaf blower or some other option to get them cleaned out is really a good step to get those water bowls clean. Uh, A wean pig has roughly 75% of its weight is in water. And so I think half the reason some of these pigs start out poorly is because they don't get on water quick enough and don't have any appetite to eat. It may not always be just the feed. It may be some of the water intake as well. Depending on your setup, whether you're wean to finish or nursery, getting uh, isolated heat in addition is always a key step, whether that's brooders, 
heat lamps, mats, anything we can do to make their a comfort zone for that pig is always helpful. We definitely don't want them stacking up two or three deep, but laying next to each other in a comfortable position is always a good idea where they can have a warm area. One of the other big steps that we see in these young barns is that the heater settings are incorrect. And what I mean by that is there isn't enough degrees between the heat off and set point, And we're usually pushing back and forth between our stage two or three fans turning on and the heater turning on. And so if we're constantly pushing back and forth at the heat on and phase and the stage two or three fans on, we may be uh, widening our set points or our temperatures in the barn uh, by more than two to four degrees more than we need to be. So getting a nice consistent temperature is also really key for those piglets to, to get started on feed. Uh, the other thing that I think we forget about a lot, especially going into this time of the year during the winter, is doing exterior walk arounds to check every item. Uh, pit fans, just a quarter or an eighth inch of dust or dirt can reduce the efficiency up by 40%. And so if we think we're getting two CFM per pig on our stage one fans, we may be only getting one to 1.2, depending on what those pit fans look like outside. Is there snow in front of them? Is there weeds in front of them? Uh, has their dust been cleaned off in a long time? How'd the blades look? Even though the fans are working, it may not always be working as well as we think. So that's a, a really good item to check. The other one I would say on the exterior walk around would be the soffits on the side of the barn. Again, this time of the year especially is we're not really doing it to tunnel. We're not using a ton of other airspace. We really need those soffits cleaned up to have fresh flow coming into those barns. So those would be the, the key couple items to get those pigs started in, in the right environment. And Chris, I'll pass it back over to you for the flow plan. And so once that barn is ready to go, obviously the next step is understanding which pigs you're receiving. And uh, certainly in, in an ideal world, every pig we would get would be PERS, MICO, PED negative, uh, vaccinated on the south farm and, and come in, you know, great health and, and hit the feeders and waters and, and take right off. The unfortunate truth is, especially this time of year, um, disease starts spreading and and that isn't every pig we get. So for me with the flow plan is first understanding, you know, what pig you're going to receive. You know, the end goal is to get that high quality, healthy wean pig. And if you can control that through purchasing and and making sure you do all you can, if, if you have involvement or ownership of the south side with filtration and, and good biosecurity, transport biosecurity, everything that leads into that, certainly do that. Then then it's also optimizing the age and weight of that wean pig, making sure we're north of 20 days, trying to get as much weight on that pig through lactation intake and, and quality practices in the farrowing house. And then understanding the disease status from there. Again, be great that they're all negative, but we need to understand what really is coming. And so with that is knowing, you know, and asking the right questions, even if it's ownership within the farm, what the age, weight, and genetics of that pig are how we're filling that barn. Is it gonna be a single source versus a commingled sow farm? The length of time to get there, it really helps with understanding how we're going to feed those pigs and vaccinate those pigs from that point forward. The health status again, PERS, MICO, PD status, any other challenges with strep, E. coli, or other pathogens that, that the flow would commonly see. And then use the flow history, right? If, if this is a one-time one spot purchase of pigs, that's hard to do, but in a lot of our systems, uh, either long-term contracts with South Farms or ownership of that South Farm, you have many groups of feed on, on feed before you. And so the communication there to understand how those pigs have done and what challenges have been faced, what vaccines, antibiotics are needed to 
help set that group up for success that you just received. And, and really all that helps to dictate what the feed budget you'll need is, the pool space within that barn, how you set that barn up, the temperature, and really set the expectations for the grower. And, and for me, it isn't just setting an expectation of we're going to achieve 1% or sub 1% mortality, but setting a realistic expectation and something that grower can achieve based on the health status and how those pigs have previously done. And with knowing the pigs, it's really important on some of those previous groups to, to have a veterinarian involved, get diagnostics done, really understand what bugs you're fighting so you can match the bugs and vaccines accordingly. You can time those vaccination plans accordingly and then put those medications as needed, as timely pulses, whether it's in the feed, water, and then the right injectables, making sure you also have those on hand, right? That uh, they aren't somewhere that needs to take two days to get to you when you want to run them, but have those on hand and ready to go. And then also make sure important, once we receive a healthy pig, to have a good biosecurity plan that Brian will touch on here later to make sure we keep that pig healthy from that point forward. All right, so so far we've talked about benchmarking, starting off on the right foot in a flow plan. After those three steps, what's the next thing that's important to talk about? I would say the next thing we need to talk about would be the vaccination program. And this talk is definitely not meant for me to give you a vaccine program and say this is the, the key vaccine program to have a 1% nursery and a 2% finisher. Uh, that's just not going to happen because every group of pigs is different. What we want to talk about in terms of vaccination program is where we see mistakes happen, where we see things go well, and how often uh, to make those changes. And so the main key points that I would say are going to be communication, execution, changes and how often and why. The cost obviously still matters and vaccine storage. Um, communication is one of those key things that in a vaccine program always seems really simple. But how you get it done on the barn at every single turn is really, really key. The ones that we've seen be the most successful would be a laid out sheet of when we see those vaccine timings, when they need to be given, and then also making the, either the caretaker or the vaccine crew sign off on when they completed those tasks. That way, whenever the supervisor or owner goes to the farm, he knows for sure that, hey, yep, they gave this vaccine on this day. No, it wasn't perfect on the timing of what I wanted, but things happen, you know, Christmas or holidays or weekends. So it doesn't always happen exactly how we want it. But as long as we're communicating, we can make decisions off of, of what actually happens out there. The next thing I would say would be execution. Execution is one of those items that it always seems like it should be a lot easier than it is on vaccines. Uh, a lot of times we're either mixing multiple vaccines in the water, sometimes injectable vaccines, um, definitely making sure they understand not only the mixing program, but also uh, how to either thaw out the vaccine, how to give the vaccine, how long the vaccine is alive. You know, PERS vaccine may only be alive in a, in a modified live vaccine may only be alive for four to six hours, but we don't want them to mix it at 11 a.m. and go take a two hour lunch break and then come back and vaccinate the rest. We, we really want to emphasize how important that is to get that vaccine into them. You know, thawing out one of the oleitis vaccines that comes frozen is really, really key to not kill that vaccine. So going through multiple trainings, always learning who's the person giving the vaccine. It may not be the one you think it is. So making sure that you would understand who all does chores on the barn, who helps out, uh, whether it's a contract grower and sometimes the spouse does the, the vaccine that you may not fully realize, or their kid is starting to help out and they may be given the vaccine making sure everybody involved understands the importance of each of those steps on each of the vaccines is really, really key. Changes how often or why, I always ask this question to uh, clients is, 
you know, it always seems like we're changing vaccines around pretty often, but we definitely don't want to be doing it so often that we don't have an idea what's working or not. If we change a micro vaccine, we definitely want to wait at least four to six months before we change it again, because you're not giving that vaccine a full effect to work. Um, same with the leliitis vaccine. If you're given a vaccine in the nursery and those clinical signs aren't supposed to happen until late finisher, we shouldn't be changing it every month and not being able to track if it's, it's actually being uh, effective or not. So those would be really key. Another item that I've seen work in barns is take pictures of the actual bottles of the vaccine and have them next to, next to your sheet so they know which vaccine matches up to what. Some of these vaccines look very, very similar to each other and have a really close label. And so making sure that they really be careful on reading the label is really good too. Uh, cost still matters. Uh, people obviously need to still price check, watch vaccine prices, making sure they're, they're talking to their veterinarian about checking on that every year and making sure that they're up to date on the most uh, cost-effective ways to get it done on their system. I mean, this industry seems to get tighter and tighter and less and less margins. And so this is one way that you can be really creative on saving some money once in a while. Not always the right move, but definitely something to check into. And then the last one I would say is vaccine storage. Uh, this is one that really frustrates me sometimes. We have a, a fridge in our house that's a $1,000 fridge and stores $100 of groceries. In our barn, we have a, a $20 fridge that we bought at a garage sale that stores $2,000 of vaccines. And so I think it's, it's kind of counterproductive, but making sure our vaccine storage is uh, in working order every time, making sure any dry ice uh, vaccines are still on dry ice by the time you give them, all those are really, really key factors in, in making the right execution, right vaccination plan. Right. And that's really interesting what you mentioned there about the fridge thing. I never thought about that. But you think about guys that have, you know, maybe old fridges or fridges that got pulled out of a house or garage and put into the barn. And you're right they're they're They've got lots more money in there, so to speak, than maybe our common house fridges do. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, it's a, I don't remember which veterinarian told me that, but I heard that a few years ago and it's always kind of stuck with me that that's one key thing that we don't really think about, but our house uh, fridge is always 10 times nicer than our barn fridge, which I, I get it. Mine is the same way, but uh, if we're storing vaccines and they're just making sure we always check that at the beginning of every turn is really important. Absolutely. Okay. So after the vaccination plan, what's the next thing to consider? One of the items that Chris and I spend a lot of time on is working on our barn layout. Um, not, not in the building process necessarily, um, but more so in the barn layout of how we set up where we want pigs to be and why. One of the areas, especially this fall, it seems like PERS has been moving around more so in grow finish, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, one area that we, we think is highly important is starting with a clean office. Not only does that set the tone for how your day is going to go, how your chores are going to be, but also is really important for biosecurity. A lot of these older grow finish sites, there's not a, not a bench entry, there's not a shower. Um, so we got to make do with what we have, but cleaning or keeping a clean office is still possible at all sites, picking up, sweeping, cleaning the floor once in a while, trying to keep it dry. Um, viruses like wet and cold. And so if we can keep a warm, dry office, that's really important to set the tone going into the barn. The next thing we talk about is a pre-fill plan. Where are we going to put our small pigs? Where are we going to put our recovery or sick pigs? How many small pens do we want? You know, that goes back to Chris's point on know your flow. If this flow is weaning a 18 day old pig and they're averaging 10 pounds, we probably need more small pens. If this is a batch farm that weans a 25 day old pig and they're 14 pounds, we probably don't need very many small pens. And so knowing your flow is really key on how you want to set up your pre-fill plan. 
And that goes all the way back to communication between the sow farm and nursery. Um, where those sick pigs and small pens are, are placed is really important. We usually tend to put them in, in the middle of the barn, away from the fans, away from the curtains, trying to keep it a little bit warmer. Um, sometimes we'll shut up some of the inlets right over the sick pen just so there's not direct airflow on those smaller pigs. Um, so that's, that's really key to those layouts. Um, assign a graduation pen as well. I think that's one thing we forget about is we always talk about, you know, pulling pen, pull pens and how many to create, but we need to have definitely a critical sick pen, a sort pen, and also a graduation pen to make sure that we're continuing to pull pigs out of that sick pen if they recover. We don't want to continue to treat or overgrow or coddle those pigs if they're fully recovered. We want to get them back out of there and, and move them back to gen pop or a graduation pen. The other thing I would say is um, people always ask me, well, how many pens should I keep open? I would say the right amount depends obviously on the flow, but somewhere between that 5% and 20%. 20% maybe on a PERS or PED break where we're having a ton of fallouts and 5% and is probably the normal average on a good healthy flow. It's something that really takes a lot of, a lot of good work and a lot of good care with between the supervisor and caretaker. And it's also really nice for everybody who's coming to that barn to know, Hey, this is where I need to spend my time focusing is right here. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of work in these fallout pens and recovery pens. So that barn layout is really key when you're setting up your spaces. As we wrap up this episode of the Pig X podcast, let's review those first five wean to finish mortality points that Ryan and Chris shared. Number one, benchmarking. Number two, starting out on the right foot. Three was a flow plan. Four was having a vaccination program. And number five was having a fantastic barn layout. Implementing new practices to an operation takes time and patience. So stay tuned as we wait and follow up on the final five points on how to reduce wean to finish mortality on the next episode of the Pig X Podcast. Until then, we here at the Pig X Podcast encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Pig X is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. Pig X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.